Hi there, and welcome to I Should Be Writing. This is a podcast for wannabe fiction writers. I'm your host, Mer Lafferty. And it is December. It is the end of the year. It is the time for introspection. Not that, that period of not a lot of work between Thanksgiving and Christmas here in the U.S., or Thanksgiving and New Year's, really. Or not wanting to do a lot of work. I know plenty of people are working. NaNoWriMo's done, so if you did NaNoWriMo, you're probably tired and not writing. Some people are getting down because of the lack of light in the Northern Hemisphere. And I have a headache for no reason. So um, that's all to say that I am on migraine medication, which is making me a little bit low energy today. But at least the pain is doing better. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that. I found a new way to... <laughs> to list my to-do list. Um, yesterday, I wrote down everything I needed to do, and I put little marks around which ones could be done in under five minutes, which ones could be done under 20 minutes, and which ones were going to take a while. And then I looked at the list, and I noticed that when I looked at some in each section, I would feel nauseated. Not, not actual vomit, but just like the anxiety in my chest or my belly, somewhere around there, would flare up when I re read these little things. And so I thought, I think I, not, I don't need to do my to-do list by time or by which part of my job I'm working on, you know, like either podcast or my writing or editing or admin for any of those things. But instead, perhaps I should do the eat the frog thing, which probably also would make me nauseated unless it was prepared well. I haven't had frog, like, frog legs since I was a kid, but I get off topic. The, I started forcing myself to do the starred ones. So uh, one thing is an original piece of fiction for the uh, FenCon book because I'm guest of honor at FenCon next year and they wanted they they put together a book of original stuff by their guests. And um so I wrote about a twenty five hundred word story and then I've got two essays due in a short amount of time. And they're kind of on the same theme. So I struggled with that and that was my day yesterday. I'm cleaning up the fiction I've been working on uh the newer piece of fiction recently and trying to get it to a point where like at least the first act is done and you really want to find out what happens next. So I've got three pieces of novels to edit and send to my agent, but that's kind of next on the list. That's all to say that I haven't written a lot of fiction lately, except for a short story I kind of pulled out of the air yesterday. I'm not sure how good it is, but I can say that about anything I write, really. I really wish you could say, you, you could actually tell when you write something good. It's not even like low self-esteem. It's honestly looking at this thing that you created and thinking, meh, because all the, all the things that other people find special about your writing, they come from your head. So they're not unique and special to you. This is also why writing a mystery is a little bit easier than people think, because what may seem like an obvious clue or an obvious red herring to you, well, that's because it came from your head, and it's not their head. That said, a lot of people are guessing some of the mysteries in my latest book, Chaos Terminal, but they're telling me they're having a lot of fun doing it, so I'm going to call that a win. I'm okay with that. But the title of this episode is uh, The Gospel According to Steve Martin, and 
this is something I've struggled with since I began streaming. It is not something I've struggled with as a podcaster because I am privileged to have started podcasting at the beginning of time. Back in those days, if you knew what podcasting was, you would try to subscribe to anything. And so I've had an audience. It hasn't grown a lot, but it, do, it did hit a nice, comfortable point. And a lot of my people who've been listening to me have been listening to me for a long time. But with streaming, and I think with anything else that's outside my comfort zone, um, I have to think about Steve Martin. And the Steve Martin story is he was very ambitious, which, you know, a lot of really successful people kind of had to be. But one of the things, the anecdote I remember about reading his um, biography was that when he had a gig, he would do it no matter who was there, including if no one was there. he It's, it's reported that he did stand up to empty bars because he had the gig and he needed to do it. And so he did it. And I think about that a lot when I'm feeling down on myself and I think no one's going to care if I do this. Now, granted, this is also, I'm not a licensed therapist, but I fully know that my emotions are not reality. And I know that, that a lot of people listening are very faithful audience members and are very kind and will listen. But the feeling in my head is no one's going to care. No one's going to care if I try something experimental. And no one's going to care if I start streaming again. And I have to think about Steve Martin. And if I'm right, or if I'm wrong, I should. it shouldn't matter. Because I was going to do my gig, which is sitting in front of a camera and talking about writing. And I said I would do it, and so I'm going to do it. And whoever gets a chance to listen to it or watch it, that's great. The work, we all, we all fret about the audience. We all fret about what the audience is going to think. We fret about the audience hating it. We fret about the audience ignoring it. Somebody who, um, I'll be, I, I want to be secretive about this. Basically, somebody who I've known a while and um, is very successful, and I greatly admire them and their work. I talked to them last night, and they asked what I've been up to. And my first thought was, you mean you don't know? Which is completely selfish, but that was my first thought. Um, but this person didn't matter. And frankly, when I am creating, those of you listening and watching shouldn't really matter. The fact that we fear that no one's listening or watching hurts. It makes us feel small and unimportant. But there's another way to look at that, if no one cares. And that is, if no one cares, you can do what you want. And that is a freedom that I haven't felt in a long time. And it just takes a little bit of altering the way you look at things. So... Steve Martin did his show in front of empty bars. I'm going to keep doing my podcast. And I know people are out there. But on the days when I feel like I'm going to be talking to an empty bar, it shouldn't change anything. When I write, I shouldn't wonder about the people reading. 
even my agent, even my editor. Because if no one cares, then I can write what I want and then I can send it off and then we'll get to the business part of the job, which is changing this into something someone will want to pay for. But, you know, not super depressed. I'm not fishing for compliments or people assuring me that you're listening or watching because I know that you are. This is the emotional part of me going, no one cares. It could be wrong, but it's strong. So I have to figure out how to get around it instead of just deny it's there. <laughs> oh boy. A, this, this is a problem for a lot of beginners. You know, I, I face this when I think about doing a different genre or doing interactive fiction or something, because that would be focusing it to a new audience. Will my existing audience be willing to follow me? Will I get a new audience where I'm going? These are things that I think about. And when you're new and you don't have an audience anywhere, it can be hard to think if nobody's going to read this or nobody's going to listen or nobody's going to watch, why should I do it? And you do it because you like making stuff, because it's fun. Or it's fun to have done it if you're the kind of person that frets through the entire process and then you're proud that it's done. But um, it's just you wanted to be a creator of whatever. And only you can stop yourself. And sometimes you will stop yourself when you think no one's going to care. But you're the only one standing in your way. And my hesitations are the only thing standing in my way. And I got to remember that. But if you want to hear me talk, or watch me talk, rather, on a uh, more live experience, I do the show live on Tuesdays, Thursdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash mightymer. And I do this front half of the podcast, and then I do the last half of the podcast with talking to people uh, in chat and taking questions. And that part of the podcast is going to be released via Patreon and Substack for not a lot of money. So if you want to support my work, you can go to patreon.com slash mightymer or mightymer.substack.com and get the longer exclusive episodes. Or if you don't have the cash, you can just come and watch for free. But right now, I'm going to go turn chat back on and talk to these lovely people hanging out. And the button worked. Excellent. Go me. I hit the right button. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to be a little bit of a downer, but sometimes when the feeling is, I don't want to do the thing, and you make yourself do the thing, the thing might be a little down, a little bit of a downer. So, um... I admire the people who can put on their TV face or their radio face and just be that person for whatever they need to do and then turn it off and let emotions through once they're done with their job. Buttons are fun. Yes, indeed. But yeah, the thing I'm working on right now is I had that moment and I don't know if Preemie and Valerie um, can identify with this or not. But having sold books and knowing a little bit about how the market works, I had an idea of where to take my book, and I thought it was great. I thought it was fun. I thought it was unexpected. And then I thought, this breaks the genre, and not in a good way. Well, probably not in a good way. And I stepped back from it. I don't think... A huge amount of people are going to be listening to this, so I'll just say it. I was 
writing in a fantasy setting and I found a completely legitimate reason to change the setting into cyberpunk and possibly other settings. It's a, it's a magic room opens up to different worlds kind of story. But I thought, why couldn't they open the door up to a cyberpunk universe? Pern with the identification numbers sanded off. Laceball. You know, Middle Earth. Why not? But that is breaking the genre of the promise that I made when I started the book, which is fantasy. So have you guys ever felt that? When I had the idea, it, it felt like a good idea. And, you know, pantsers out there will know what I'm talking about when you suddenly get this realization of where your story could go. And it's this heady rush of, wow, I thought of that all by myself. Kind of like I used the knife the way mom taught me and I didn't cut myself. Woo! Yeah, it is like a drug. When I tried to write without caring about an audience, I kind of stopped writing because I was perfectly happy with just playing with stories in my head instead of all that hard writing. If that's what you want, K. Kimmy, that's great. You know, it's... Like I said, I think last episode, some people will go to these intensive fiction workshops and what the workshop will teach them is they don't want to be a writer. Which is great, you know? If you if you realize that and you're not quitting because you're discouraged or some of a review was mean to you or something, um, then it's a great thing to realize about yourself because you won't keep stressing yourself out doing something you don't want to do. Yes, if you don't like it, you should not do it because life is short. I will amend that kids are asleep because reading something similar to that that Ray Bradbury said is what stopped me writing for about 10 years, which is... I sometimes enjoy writing, and I really enjoy the end product. So, but I'm I'm not always leaping for joy when I go to sit down at the computer, which is what Ray Bradbury said I needed to do. But yeah, if if you're not if you don't enjoy any of it, yeah, if you get, I definitely only mean if you get zero joy from it ever. Yes, but I mean, if you enjoy just making up stuff, I mean, K. Kimmy, it sounds like what you want to do is like do run RPGs because RPGs are a lot of fun because you can come up with a world setting or a character and their parts are done for you or with you, with your players. I, I read something from a friend, which was, it was well-crafted and it was engrossing, but the book really felt like an RPG source book because He'd, in, he'd invented this amazing, amazingly detailed world with, like, very few characters and no conflict. None. But, I mean, everybody loved reading it because he was so good at putting it together. But I'm like, this reads like a source book. So, I mean, you know, you can push your creativity a different direction. You don't always have to do just novels. Kids Are Asleep says it can be hard. You can get sad and discouraged and frustrated and still enjoy it enough to keep going. Yes. Forerunner says, very few people like sanding, but almost everyone likes a nice smooth chair. <laughs> that is a very good point. That's an excellent point. Undercover Dragon says, I'm sure this is typical, but it's so funny how I dedicate so much time and energy to writing a book because I love writing and I love this book, but like 60% of the time it just feels like work. 
Yeah. Yeah. Then when I'm done with the book and it's time to take a break from writing, I turn around and write for fun some more. That's actually, that's very good. It's clear you should be a writer because you're doing it even when you don't quote unquote have to. Some people take breaks when they're done writing a book. Um, yeah, I, w I was thinking about that, the whole part that's work. I've got, I, I guess the saves the cat beat sheet would be calling this the debate of we've got a conflict, we've got a, a, a thing that happened, and we've got to have people go over the repercussions of what's going on. And then we've got the beginning of Act 2, which is when something big changes and neat stuff starts to happen. And I really did not want to do that debate. I mean, I was close to, well, they went back into town and found her after looking for five minutes. Because the search for this person is not the important thing. But that is, that's connective tissue you kind of have to have, else you're just writing plot beats. So I'm thinking about the future scene that I really want to write, but know that I have to get through this. Yeah. And I can write non-chron... I don't have to write chronologically. I have written books without writing chronologically, but it, it is a big challenge when putting it together. A big challenge. So I try to write chronologically when I can. The way my mysteries go, it's a little harder because I do a lot of flashback to get a better picture of who the uh, who the suspects are. And those flashbacks can go anywhere in the book, but sometimes they're revealing things that I don't want, I'm not sure want to be revealed early on. Like a piece of fiction I sent my editor, I wrote a flashback piece and I'm like, oh, my agent. And I said, wait a minute, I think this might actually be a, a you know, end of second act reveal at the climax, not a, here's how to establish this person's character in the first act. So, um, but with this one, I'm not doing a lot of flashbacks. I'm doing a little, but not a lot. So... Hopefully I can continue chronologically. Okay, Kimmy says, this is why I'm not beating myself up over being in a fallow period, but I suspect it was more defaulting to instant gratification rather than not wanting to share my stories. Yeah, that's a problem I have, especially with crafting. Instant gratification. I'm like, I will cross-stitch for a couple of hours in the evening and then realize I got something wrong a hundred stitches ago and that will slowly warp the thing I'm trying to make. And then I get frustrated and tear all the stitches out. I think for me, part of the desire to write is that desire to share the story with people. So completely disregarding the audience doesn't work for my brain. That's fair. You know, I'll say it many, many times because there are a bunch of other people saying stupid stuff out there, which is take my word as law. What works for me may not work for you. And that's okay. If you're getting writing done, then great. Keep doing what you're doing. An insignificant part of my motivation devoted to the idea that someone will read my book and exclaim, Undercover Dragon, you are a genius! Well, yes. We want the, the big banquet and the, the shiny and the clapping for us. I mean, I can't, again, I can't speak for the pro writers in the chat, but I know every time I send a book in, except for this past time when I said I know there needs to be some <laughs> when I assured my editor, I knew this was a rough draft. Very rough. 
but did um, have to tell. I usually have the feeling of, I know they're going to come back with edits. Maybe they won't this time. Maybe this time they'll look at it and go, oh, Mer, I've birthed, fully formed a perfect novel. Rudy with autism, hello, welcome. I think I am being some, I, I'm simultaneously to YouTube and Twitch right now, so I think my chat is not reflecting all of those, but hello, thank you for the follow. Welcome. Thank you for the resub, Joey. 24 months, that's two years. That's a long time. Thank you. A teacher in high school told Under Pope writer he'd ever taught, and I've been seeking that high ever since. Excellent. Third leg of that triangle, which is being uncomfortable with praise compliments. Yeah. That's the imposter syndrome. That's the, oh god, I've fully fooled you and you don't know what you're talking about and eventually you will realize that you're wrong and hate my work. Even if people like your work, that imposter syndrome comes with the next book because what if it won't be as good? Thank you, Joey. It's good to see you. Hello, Ian. Asso amusing to me that I'm listening to this while reviewing specifications. <laughs> The fact that no one cares sentence that you can take either very, very negatively or very, very positively just continues to fascinate me. I don't know why. Like, if no one cares, no one's watching, and no one's going to tell you you're doing it wrong. Yeah, it is both. But how are you guys? Do you guys have any questions you want me to answer about this or any other writing topic? Um, I kind of dropped the ball with NaNoWriMo. I mean, just supporting you guys. I knew I wasn't going to hit the 50,000 words. But um, I understand it. Uh, the kids are asleep managed to hit the 50K, right? Know that Space Valkyries did, I think. You're doing reports. I'm sorry, kids are asleep. I hit it with a combo of projects and writing plus editing. How do you... Um, I probably asked you this before, and I apologize. How do you work your editing into your word count? Because I think a lot of people approach that in a very different ways. Um, he has imposter syndrome. Reviewing electrical specifications from a professional engineer. I went to school for journalism. <laughs> I do not know how to talk to that. So I'm just going to say I believe in you. Okay, Kimmy says, or according to my anxiety and nobody cares until I do something wrong. Yeah, well, you're you're... The bully in your brain is going to find a way to get at you. Even if I give you anything, you could say, yeah, let's keep that in my mindset. Your bully will attempt to completely undermine you. And that's just the fact. I'm sorry. How do you write for things that aren't prose? That is very broad, Joey. Um, if you're talking about... Well... When I got started professionally writing, I was writing um, on role-playing games. And there are... If you've played any White Wolf games, you'll know that there are um, fiction-y bits, is what I called them. Because they weren't a full story. But they were... You you do get a piece of fiction that was in the world and perhaps talking about like if you're about to do the magic chapter then you've got a piece of fiction about somebody doing magic in that world so you can get a better sense of how it works um so and the neat thing about those is that while they need to be engrossing they don't need 
a specific beginning or a specific end. In fact, you can do the big cliffhanger thing of someone trying to cast magic and it going horribly wrong. And then that is the hint for the um, gamer or the, the GM to take it further. So if you're doing um, writing for something creative like game stuff, and which is on my mind lately, don't put a lot of stress on yourself that you need to follow the rules of stories or, or code. Not code. Why did I say code? I don't blame the migraine pill. That's that's just what I'm going to do. I have to follow the rules of fiction when you're writing something, even if it is based in fiction, which gives you, which should loosen the reins a little bit and make you come up with cool things. Other things? Yes, fictiony bits. That is the official. Oh, okay. Yes, AG writing for a TTRPG. With um with role-playing games, it's really interesting because you need to essentially set up the dollhouse. So you've got to set up the um setting and you've got to set up a little bit of the history. How did we get to here? Mad kings, up, uh, ambitious wizards, things like that. What got us to here. And then you develop some characters who are like big time canon characters. Think, I can't think of any of their names, but if you've played World of Warcraft, you know there are core characters on both sides of the, the Horde and the Alliance that... They'll never die. And if they die, it's going to be a major game event. It's not something that a regular gamer is going to accomplish. Um, but you've got these people who have done things in the world that modified the world itself. And But everything you come up with, again, it does not have to be a story. Because what you're doing is you're just giving people the dollhouse and the dolls to play with, but the stories they come up with are their own. So people, neat spells, just, it felt like grabbing an error has occurred. Don't you pass a voice me? I don't blame Rosa. Back in normal. Thank you, Underpope. Yes, Rosa's trying to make a bed out of a bunch of books on the floor. Which just means I'm messy. Totally forgot what we were talking about. Oh yes, we were talking about the TTRPG stuff. Um, I don't know when y'all started hearing nothing or bad audio. Um, but essentially what you're doing is you're built, you're giving people tools in which to make their own stories. That's really the best way of thinking about it. You can give them a a setting with some worldwide conflict things. You can give them core characters. You don't have to. Brindlewood Bay is an RPG with a very rich setting, but there's really only one thing that's solidified, and that is the setting, but characters are all player-created, and most of the mystery is player-created. My bet is also a bunch of books on the floor, yes. Um, but I also said, Joey, if you missed it, that uh, you know how to find me if you want 
if you've got any questions, let me know. You know, sometimes you don't want to do something and you tell yourself, it'll be okay if I do it. Everything I fear is not that bad. But then you do it and no, you, um, your audio goes out, you get a tickle in your throat. Don't even know where you were. Oh, we, we have a question. Sorry about that, guys. Some writers are described as ambitious and some are not. What is the difference? I would say ambitious writers take chances that most editors would hesitate to publish. That could be being edgy or controversial or just going in a direction that people aren't used to. I'm trying to think of what I've read recently that would be ambitious. Anything up here? I don't know. Um, Premier Valerie, you're welcome to chime in if you can think up ambitious books. I think, and usually the ambitious ones are the ones that are successful. Don't forget that. Plenty of people are ambitious and don't get anything published because they're... I think it, they would be somebody the editor would would consider, I have to take a chance on this person. And that's not always, you know, great. Sometimes, unfortunately, um, ambitious would mean uh, writing something that the middle-class, white, straight American would be uncomfortable reading, which just could should be considered normal fiction. But that's the world we live in. How the difference between weird and eccentric is about $50 million. I see. Yeah, I wish I could think of, of an example. I'm thinking of maybe Red, White, and Royal Blue. I don't think that was the first queer YA that hit mainstream, but it was definitely the biggest. Um, and now, you know, I just... I just... A book was published today. I think a bad fomance which is another queer YA book. We've got Dark Heart by James L. Sutter. Right, cheer. Um, so, yeah, I guess ambitious, I'm just going to say it. Ambitious is telling stories that what they consider as their readers would be uncomfortable with when it should just be, we should all be open to hearing stories from different voices. But that's, yeah. Or maybe ambitious is like what I said I wanted to do was, um, which was, you know, change genres in the middle of the book. Could make an argument that Chuck Tingle's non-erotica book was ambitious. I suppose. I think the challenge there was to benefit from Tingle's brand, but be clear you're giving a different kind of story. And, you know, because of his weird, the, the, the persona he has built up, um, trying to make appearances as a quote-unquote normal or non-weird, weird, erotic writing person, um, that would be weird. But apparently he shows up just with a bag on his head. Friend was told by her publisher that she needed to put a trigger warning for her book. Interesting. What was the warning? It 
It's funny because I know what you mean by non-erotica, but my favorite Chuck Tingle book is about ace characters and has no erotica, but that book would not qualify as ambitious because it's basically the same as his erotica. Is it one of those with a really long title that's just kind of bizarre with a terribly photoshopped cover? If you don't know Chuck Tingle, I don't know who listening or watching would not know Chuck Tingle. But just in case, Chuck Tingle is a writer who came to fame in 2014, I'd say. 2014, because 2015 is when he got nominated for the Hugo as part of the Sad Puppy Slate. But Tingle is very, uh, very pro-loving everybody and not being used as a hammer for bad people or, or, um, I can't think of the words. Sorry. Yes. Camp Damascus, I believe was Tingle's book. Uh, it's been assumed that he is one or more established like writers already in science fiction. Um, I was dismayed that, I've never been accused of being Chuck Tingle. I think that's kind of a weird badge to carry. But I've never been accused. I know a lot of people who have. Um, I'm assuming... I'm assuming Dong Wan Song knows who he is, because Dong Wan is his agent. But, um... Yeah, I don't know. He's a mystery. He just came out with a new... Oh, man, what was his new book? I don't buy a lot of his books, but I do get an Amazon notice whenever he puts something new out. Um, I'm going to look up what his latest book is, because now I'm curious. Yes, the, well, good good thing for him. His The first book to come up is Camp Damascus. We've got Handsome Sentient Food Pounds My Butt and Turns Me Gay. Eight Tales of Hot Food. He's got Dungeons, Dungeons, and Buckaroos, a select-your-own-timeline adventure. I didn't know he did that. His next book is called Bury Your Gaze. That looks like a more legit title than a lot of his fun titles. Buttageddon, The Final Days of Pounding Ass. Scary Stories to Tingle Your Butt, Seven Tales of Gay Terror. Yes, hello. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you for the resub. We are reading Chuck Tingle's uh, titles. I'm trying to find the... Um, I'm trying to find his most recent book, but he puts so many out, it's hard to. Bisexually Tingled for the Holidays, Seven Bi Tales of Seasonal Erotica. Dr. Chuck Tingle's Adult Coloring and Activity Book for True Buckaroos. Wow, there's so much that I don't get here. I don't get notified about wow i don't even what where's the most recent one i'm just baffled i gotta look in the email then talk amongst yourselves absolutely no thoughts of pounding during my fun day with this kind t-rex because i'm aromantic and asexual and that's a wonderful valid way of proving love is real <laughs> i have not heard of that one either that's excellent yes Chuck Tingle does like to do long, long titles. And I'm not even being 
euphemistic about that. I've not read any Chuck Tingle I've tried, but they aren't for me. Tremendous respect for him, though. Um, I don't know if we're supposed to like his short stuff. It's just, it's like the Star Wars Christmas special. It's it's funny to experience, but I'm not sure what the reread uh, capability is of this. Um, I can't talk and type at the same time. Recent release from Chuck Tingle. Yeah, here we go. Uh, my overwhelming gratitude and appreciation for the grand cosmic rarity of my own existence gets me off. <laughs> and it's got a pretty great cover of a woman in a bra smiling at a sort of purple matrixy type thing with a woman's face on it. Now, see, you've got people have also bought books by T. Kingfisher, Tav Travis Baldry, and Martha Wells. I mean, who would not want to be in that list? How can I get associated with Chuck? T I need to put more weird sex in my stuff, clearly. But Martha Wells and Travis Baldry and Ursula don't have weird sex in their books. Do they? I haven't. I haven't seen any. Anyway, how is Camp Damascus? I I've been curious about it. Well, my goal was to get, um, to do some first sentence reviews for my TikTok channel. So maybe I'll grab a copy of Camp Damascus and take a look at it. Not top tier or anything, but win some unexpected directions and a solid read. Interesting. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify Chuck's weird stuff as ambitious because they're self-published with no expectation of market viability. They're not expected to succeed or fail. They're just out there. Um, I mean, who knows? Perhaps editors have chased him down to collect them and, and republish them because of his success, but it's very... Um, he just puts out what he wants to put out. You would classify it as ambitious if it weren't self-pub. Which one? Because I know Camp Damascus has a, had a publisher. Tolkien, ambitious writer, definitely. He was... He... he took those fantasy elements places no one else ever had. So he was ambitious for the time, unfortunately, because people took his ideas and built on them and built on them. It's kind of boring if you read it now. Or at least if you read it as an adult, which I did. And it was boring. I'll say it. I'm not ashamed. He wrote a Bible in at least two languages. That was... That was interesting. I don't know what exactly it accomplished for the average reader but as an author that was definitely ambitious if anybody has any other questions let me know now otherwise i'm gonna wind down and see who is online um my book chaos terminal is out on shelves now people have said they liked it the response has been 
it's hard it's hard to 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 quantify because I didn't expect people to not like it, but since the the first book got you know people said kind things about it, they liked it, but it wasn't like a hit. I was kind of expecting this to have a similar or lesser response, and it's almost been better. No one said it's better than Station Eternity or Station Eternity is better than Chaos Terminal, but the response has surprised me, so I'm happy about that. How do I recover from post-NaNoWriMo burnout so I can finish the first draft of my novel? Time. Time is what you need, Daniel. And that is the hardest thing to do because you can't shorten that. You just really need time. Read something else. Brainstorm another story. Don't write it. Just sit and think about it. Experience stories on another level. A game or a movie or something. Just let your brain rest. And then go back in. Yeah, Underpope says, I usually take a break and then write less per day. Uh, thank you for the comments, Greg. Really glad to have you here. Um... Yeah, just just be go easy on yourself. It's you did a big thing. You you deserve a rest. Really. Um but yeah, again, my name is Mer Lafferty. I write stuff, I podcast, I stream, I edit. I'm a busy busy girl. And uh you can find me here on Tuesdays and Thursdays on Twitch 3 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I believe I'm going to get, officially get my, uh, sorry, um, officially get my interview going with uh, Chikudili Emilamadu in two weeks, or a week and a half. going to be shooting for Thursday the 14th. I, I'm not sure we don't have that uh, confirmed yet, but that's what we're shooting for. I'm really looking forward to talking to her. Her new book is Dazzled, and it's out today. If you're looking for something new. Um, yeah, give books to your family for the holidays. You might encourage them to read. You might help an author out. I'm in love with writing words in weird public spaces. Interesting. A thousand words at a Toyota dealership yesterday. <laughs> That's cool. Anyway, uh, this podcast is I Should Be Writing, and uh, I should, and so should you be. I think we're going to uh, raid into Urban Bohemian. Herb is doing Idol Champions, which is a chill idol game, idol D&D game, and Herb is always good vibes and uh, kind words, so always love raiding into him and listening to him talk in his melodious voice. Thank you guys for being here and letting me talk about my anxiety and crap. And I'll see you guys on Wednesday. Uh, Thursday. Thank you for listening to I Should Be Writing, the longest-running writing podcast in existence. This episode was made possible by The Fabulous, who support the podcast via Patreon or Substack. Join The Fabulous at patreon.com slash or... MightyMur.substack.com. Theme music provided by John Anilio. Art provided by Numbers Ninja. 
and podcast hosting provided by Libsyn. This episode is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 License. You can find all of my books and podcasts at merverse.com. 